Welcome aboard, Aviators fans. This is your captain speaking. I'm Michael Keoy, and you are listening to In the Cockpit, a podcast dedicated to your Los Angeles aviators. Join us every week as we discuss what's happening on the field and spotlight some of your favorite players. I'm your co-pilot, Jacob Bomber, and we are thrilled to have you along for the ride. Please make sure your seatbelts are buckled, your tray tables are in the upright and locked position, and don't mind the turbulence. Let's have some fun. Hopefully you don't mind those two voices, because Kioi and I are going to be your two hosts for each episode. The general vision for each week will be for us to recap our previous game, bring on a guest to talk to for a while, then preview our upcoming game. Our first couple of guests will be the other captains of the team. Then one at a time, we'll bring on more of our teammates so you can get a broader scope of who you're rooting for on the field. Bomber and I will probably be learning a thing or two along the way as well. For this introductory episode, we haven't played a game yet, and we'll do a season preview a little bit later in the episode, so let's just get started by learning a little about Michael Keoy. So tell us a little bit about your athletic background and how you got introduced to Ultimate. When I was young, about five years old, I started martial arts, specifically Tang Sudo, and that was pretty much my life growing up. Five to six days a week, I was practicing and studying and training for for that and continued all the way through high school. In college, when I got to UCLA, I was looking for a group activity, potentially a sport to get involved in. And my friend Lisa, who was a year older than me, we had attended San Marcos High School together. She had pl- played and or was playing on Blue, which was the Bruin Lady Ultimate Team, and told me to see what was up at the Smog Table, which was the men's team, and so I did, and that was kind of the the start of my Ultimate life. So you have a college career at UCLA. What other teams and experiences have you had since then? My second year at UCLA, I tried out for... Uh, Monster, which was the LA team at the time, and didn't make that team. Tried out again the following year, didn't make that team either, but then my friend Jimmy Chu and I decided to try out for Condors very last minute, and both made that team, so in 2007 I started playing Condors, and that's been the main club team over the past, I guess now, 14 years. There were a couple years that I took off from that team to play another team. One of them specifically was Emerald City Ultimate, which was in 2010, a team based out of Seattle, not Voodoo, which I know Voodoo is now changing their name to Emerald City Ultimate. This was a completely different project and had a lot of other Sockeye players on it. Alex Nord, Chase Sparling-Beckley, Jeremy Cram, Jimmy Chu, and then some young up-and-coming stars, Alex Evangelides, uh, Alan Laviolette. So it was a pretty fun team. And then in 2014, I joined the Spiders, San Jose Spiders, in the AUDL, and that's when they opened up on the West Coast. And then from there, in 2015, they expanded the league 
Los Angeles was open, San Diego was open, and so all of the Santa Barbara guys that had played Spiders went to that L.A. team. So you've had a good number of years playing at all levels. What are a couple of like the highlights that stand out in terms of your ultimate career? I think the biggest highlight was winning the AEDL championship in 2014. Up to that point, I had not won any championship, and that is usually a huge goal for most players is to try to win a championship. So that was an incredible experience, and that whole team was fantastic. Just the vibe that we had and the players that I had seen or played against for many years and was finally able to call them teammates. So I think that's towards the top, if not the top highlight of my ultimate career. I think right under that would be a lot of the national championships that Condors qualified for. So I believe it's now five times I've gone to nationals with Condors and each time has been really special and very challenging to get to that point. So it's just a, a huge accomplishment for those teams and, and a lot of fun. And of course, 2018, when we went to championship weekend with the LA Aviators, we had been building for several years. Each year we had gone further and further into the season, into the playoffs, finally won the West, went to Madison, and had a rough start to that game, but really closed the game well. Yeah. And that, A few of us were watching that game back home, and <laughs> we're really excited. And then the beginning was like, oh, we could have done better. <laughs> yeah. If, if we had not dug ourselves in, I think it was a five-point deficit, yeah. Uh, that, you know, that was pretty much the game because we, we ended up losing by five or maybe losing by four. So we played even pretty much after that, that run. So it was, it was unfortunate that we got up to such a poor start, but still an amazing experience. And of course, Madison is one of the, the best places to play in the AUDL. So what, going back to the club, what was it like being on the field for a Nationals for the first time? The first time I made Nationals was in 2007, and I will never forget. This was when it was still in Sarasota, Florida. We had a huge house with the team, got to the fields really early. It was it was calm. It was a little bit chilly, even though it was summer slash fall in Florida. The sun was out. There's a nice uh, dew on the grass, and you can just see for forever, it seemed like, this massive field space and just a beautiful place to play. The first point, I remember getting a... Uh, point block 
on one of the main handlers and just feeling uh, amazing. <laughs> I was like so nervous, so nervous because I, I wasn't getting a ton of playing time as a first year on Condors, especially because we had such a stacked team. But uh, that definitely helped calm the nerves and felt like, okay, you know what? Even though this is a, a huge tournament, I think I, I belong here and the team belongs here. And, and yeah, but it's something I'll never forget for sure. A hundred percent. That's maybe one day I'll get there. Maybe probably not. I'm old now. Um, who were, who are maybe still, um, a couple players that you saw either played with, played against, saw videos of, saw other places on the field who, either inspired you like you wanted to mold your game after them or just watching them really pumped you up to play and be good like who are a couple people that stood out to you along the way it's a great question there's a long list of players that i could highlight that have influenced my game and a couple weeks ago i hosted being ulti the twitter account and i mentioned a couple people specifically so i'll mention them again one is Anna Nazarov, a.k.a. Mad Dog. She was playing for Blue at UCLA and was one year older than me as well. And And watching her play was phenomenal. Everything she did was just an incredible example of how you should play Ultimate. Her throws were very flat. And, oh, well, obviously she could put outside in or inside out on her throws if she wanted to. But, you know, on a normal throw, her throws are very flat, very strong delivery, lots of spin on the disc, just looked easy. Her cutting style was very crisp. And her layout form was top and is still top of the game, in my opinion. So I tried to, tried to really copy her layout form. Jimmy Chu, who I mentioned earlier, was another one. He helped me develop into a great club player, and I don't think I would have made Condors without him, and I don't think I would have had um, the career that I've had without him either. Just his experience, he had played Sockeye, won national championships with them, and he played at Carleton, and just yeah, the the experience that he brought helped broaden my span. A couple others really quickly. Steve Dugan, who lives here in Santa Barbara and is also a teacher, he was a captain of the team on Condors when I first made that squad, and ever since then has really helped um, me process through the game. And we talk about Ultimate a lot, even to this day. Every every time we hang out, we talk a lot about aviators. We talk about condors, and obviously he's a legend. I that, mean, he's that dude is a disc maniac. That guy yeah. is man. Champions, yeah. championships on championships. Of course, world championships, club championships. He's in the USA Hall of Fame, so he he had a big impact. A couple other people um, from UCLA would be Seraph. AKA Ben Tong, um, Punky, 
And I'll shout out to my old housemate, Mark L. Bogan. Yeah. Former aviator and all AUDL uh, first team. Sadly retired. Been trying to get him out of retirement for a long time. But Mark and I have played a lot of games together on Condors, Spiders, Aviators, UCLA. Basically, our whole career has been together. So I really appreciate him, and and we still talk a lot about Ultimate as well, similar to Steve, like whenever we're He ended my club career the first time. I don't know if you remember that game when it was the first year of Renegade and we played oh. you guys in, I think it was in 2011. Yeah. And and we were playing you guys in an elimination game that we had no chance of winning, but it was still like fun. And you guys have game point and I don't know who threw it, but somebody threw it to Mark and I deed it, but it like stayed in the air and went flying 20 yards farther and he, I stop running. I'm like, I need it. It's fine. And he just takes off full body layout, catches it, gets up, throws it to whoever continued for the score to win. And I'm just like, I can't believe this happened. And he looks back at me. His first reaction wasn't to celebrate, was to look back at me and go, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, that whatever. Sounds... You're the person that can get away with this right now. It's fine. That sounds like Mark. He's always a professional and a nice guy and of course highly competitive but just a good guy to be around and (laughs) of course you would feel kind of bad about that (laughs) i don't specifically remember that but i can just picture it in my mind and he's he is always doing phenomenal stuff like that so it doesn't surprise me in the least So with Ultimate, obviously you've talked about being on a lot of teams. Ultimate takes you a lot of places, and there are a lot of very interesting characters in the game. What, outside of things on the field, do you have, like, a really funny story or weird incident or just something that sticks out to you from your Ultimate journeys? Oh, gosh, there are so many. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably the hardest question I'm going to ask anybody to give one answer about. But I'm going to tell a classic that I've told a lot of people in the UCLA circle. But, <laughs> and, and, and speaking of Mark, he was here for this experience. So nice. this will be. Get your enjoyable. popcorn ready, people. Yes, get it ready. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully this is not deemed inappropriate. I think it's safe. We were playing in Kaimana, the tournament in Hawaii, the off-season tournament, which it, it was a great tournament, and we were there with Miles Mawson, a.k.a. Vonage. He is also a UCLA alum and has retired. Never really got into the club scene, but a good buddy. And we had just finished playing, and we were driving around the island Miles said, hey, I want to go up to this lookout point. So we go up there, and he said, I, there's this crazy breeze. It's not even a breeze. It's a, it's a strong, strong wind, probably at least 20 miles an hour. It's, it's going off the ocean, and 
hitting this lookout point. And he said, you know what? I've always wanted to pee off the edge of a lookout point. <laughs> and Mark and I look at each other, one, like, are you going to, this is a terrible idea because we don't want to get arrested. <laughs> the other thing is this wind is, is a huge headwind. And so many things could go wrong. So many things. <laughs> and so he decides to do it against Mark and I's, you know, encouragement not to do it. Yeah. And of course he's, he starts and it is just blowing back into his face. Just the wind howling and he it is just like drenching him. And we're like, stop, stop. Mind you, we're standing probably 50 yards away. We, yeah, we don't want anything enough. to do good, with this. Good job. Yeah. Smart move. Yeah, yeah. And, and like to the sides, just in case there's any, anyway. And we're just yelling at him, like, stop, stop. And he's like, I can't stop. <laughs> and it's just, it's, oh my gosh. It was one of the most hilarious ultimate related experiences off the field that I've ever seen. So hopefully that is. <laughs> I'm not editing any of it. So, uh, you know, we'll just see what kind of feedback we get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great story. I mean, it is, it was highly entertaining. So as we continue to venture a little bit further away from the ultimate field, obviously ultimate is not the only thing you do. So let, let the fans know what is, what does life outside of ultimate look like for you? For a job, I am the instrumental music director at San Marcos High School in Santa Barbara. And that's a fancy name for band director. So I teach grades 9 through 12, all instrumental. This is marching band, jazz band, wind ensemble, which is also known as concert band, drumline. We have a winter guard and You're in charge of all of that? Yes. I feel like that is very rare to have one person oversee all of those things. It it is fairly rare and especially when you have a decently strong performing arts school. Um it's it's not uncommon to have either two band directors or an assistant band director or maybe someone who just runs the jazz band and yeah. uh, something else. So, yeah, I do have help. It's not like I'm doing all of those things by myself. I, I have a percussion instructor who's been here for longer than, than I've been teaching. In fact, he was here when I was in high school. So he's a great resource. And then I have a, a main color guard instructor. So I oversee all those programs and help a lot with them but you know for color guard i'm I'm for guard yeah i'm not specifically doing all of the instruction which is good because that would be it would, they would not it would not go so well no. <laughs> but that's that's my day-to-day job and then outside of that really enjoy just like most people hanging out with friends, teammates. I, I really like to fish. 
and as you have gotten into as well disc golf, which we could we could talk about when we that talk could be more its about own you. entire episode. <laughs> I know it, it definitely could be, but it it has been fun, especially during COVID. So I'm I've been thankful for that. There's a long list, but yeah. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. Yeah. So your job takes up a lot of effort and time and being a professional ultimate player and elite club player take a lot of time. So how over the years have you found yourself being able to balance the two? Like what does a weekly schedule look like? What does a daily schedule look like? Mindset, all of those things. How, how do you navigate those two worlds in terms of your time and energy? It's a great question. Navigating both commitments is challenging to say the least. On a day-to-day, I'm thinking a lot about my students, but I'm also thinking a lot about Ultimate, and sometimes I'm at school until really, really late at night, 9 or 10 p.m., depending on how our rehearsal schedule is and what our event schedule is. So oftentimes, my workouts are either really, really late at night. Um, I used to go really early in the morning, but... I've learned that evening time, nighttime is is just a more productive workout for me. So that can be tough to get into the gym, you know, at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and uh, start it all over again the next day. <laughs> and and weekends, it's either I'm playing ultimate or we have some type of competition or both. I've yeah. definitely. I've definitely done the uh, Friday night football game, some type of ultimate Saturday, and then a competition again on Sunday. So it's it's challenging, but also it, it creates balance in my life, even though it's pretty hectic. I need yeah. I need to be able to play ultimate. Um, in order to balance my work life and so yeah it's healthy so (laughs) (laughs) it can wear you down a little bit physically and mentally but in the long run it's better than better than having neither definitely so transitioning back to talk about the AUDL um did you ever have like a welcome to the AUDL moment like in pro sports, they go, welcome to the league rookie. Like, did you ever have a moment of like, oh, I'm here now? Like, as opposed, because it's, it's probably a little weird too, because pros versus club, you might have had a like, welcome to elite club ultimate moment. But in terms of the AUDL as, you know, a professional entity and, and what that looks like, did you have a moment where you're like, all right, I'm a, I'm a professional ultimate frisbee player and this is happening? Normally, when I think of a welcome to the fill in the blank, yeah, it's it's like a it's kind of a a mistake or a bad thing. Uh, where, like <laughs> hey, that you qualifies. Said, Those are usually more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, th- I was gonna say, but I can't think of one to yeah. be honest. I'm sure that there are plenty. Yeah. I, one really quick one. I remember having practice for spiders, and I had to match up against Ashlyn Joy, who's one of the best pure handlers the sport has ever seen. I'm sure a lot of people who follow Ultimate know him. He he played yeah. spiders, then he well he's his mainstay was on 
Revolver, that's where he's most famous, but just marking up against him was a, was a great experience and also just super challenging. It's like, okay, well, this is, you know, this is the kind of player that I'm going to (laughs) see on a day, day to day basis. But I think that the welcome to the AUDL happened our first game. We were playing the San Francisco Flamethrowers. It was at home. There was a huge crowd. The San Jose is really good at having a lot of people in attendance, so shout out to them. Definitely shout out to them. They do a great job getting a lot of youth players in and the community. So ton of people there. I was playing defense. That was how I, you know, have spent most of my career. But lined up against Lucas Dahlman and end up getting a layout block on him and then getting the bookend score. Let's and go. Yeah. And <laughs> this was probably a few points into the game, but it was the first break in San Jose Spiders history. Wow. So that was a pretty cool moment oh, yeah. for me. And and I didn't even realize that it was the first break of the franchise until later on. I was obviously stoked on getting the block and getting the goal. And yeah, just felt just felt the crowd cheering. Just a really, really cool moment for me. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, so as we look kind of more internal now, we, we are both aviators this year. What, based on your experience in Ultimate, in the pros, in what, what our non-season looked like last year, all of that involved, what does it mean for you to be a Los Angeles aviator this year? It means a lot to to be an aviator this year, and it means a lot to play ultimate. Uh, a lot of it has to do with not playing for a year and a half, but a big part of it is also still being able to play at our age. I mean, we're of similar age, and I don't like to consider us old, but as in terms of ultimate careers and in terms of just playing high-level sports, we are towards the, I guess, the back end of the sunset of our of our career. So I think that means uh, that's that's pretty special to still be playing and to still be healthy and able to do that and, and to still play at a high enough level to make the squad. So, um, and, and I think to add on top, it, it's an honor to be a, a captain as well for aviators that, um, it, it does mean a lot and I am really happy to help the team in any way I can and I'm glad that the players on the team, uh, Yes, voted that to happen. So it's it's a, a lot of a lot of great 
positive things being an aviator this season. Yeah, that's it's definitely an honor. So I've done I've done a lot of talking, and we are kind of going person by person. And, and <laughs> luckily, when we get, the show is designed around us talking a lot, so it's not yeah. a bad thing that that happens. True, true. As as most podcasts go. Yeah. <laughs> But I want to hear, and the people, we got to give the people what they want. We, we want to hear about Jake Ballmer and, and some of the similar questions that, you know, I answered. We, we want you to answer. So, so obviously you're a huge guy. You played a lot of sports. Tell us, tell us what your athletic background is. So for those who don't know, I am six foot seven. And I was that size when I graduated high school at 17 years old, except I was a solid 60 pounds less then than I am now. So I was a twig, and that was true my entire childhood. I was always the tallest and super skinny. But I love sports. I've loved sports since I was a little kid. So I was always reading the sports page, looking at the box scores, watching as much as I could, waking up in the morning to watch Sports Center. That's like who I was. So I. Loved playing as much as I could. Grew up playing YMCA basketball, played Little League in multiple cities, played um, some roller hockey. Didn't ever get into football, but did end up playing like a rec flag football league with some friends once. Um, <laughs> so, so did a lot of that when I was little, but I was really content to just be there as opposed to excel there. I just loved being on the field. I loved being on the court. I loved contributing in my small ways. Um, so... So that kind of led to like some of the decisions I made in high school. When I got to high school, knew I wasn't good enough to play any of the big sports. And so my best friend and I both like were in agreement. Like we're going to die if we try to play football. Neither of us is good enough at basketball or baseball. So we need to find something off to the side. So we walk into like in the day that you like sign up for what sports you're going to play. We walk into the golf room. Oh, we could pick up golf. This will work. There's like 50 people in that room. And we think we are definitely not beating out all of those people. Let's go find something else. So we go to tennis. There's three people in that room. Score, we're in. So ended up playing tennis all four years of high school. Had a had a basketball coach recruit me to play one year of basketball my sophomore year, but I was thirteenth guy off the bench. That's not it wasn't that much fun. Tennis was a lot of fun. So did that all through high school. Then uh after graduating, started to take basketball a little bit more seriously, um, started playing in adult leagues and stuff, and had a really good time with that. Learned how to actually use my size to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted on a basketball court. And so that that then transitioned into all these other sports. I was as bad as I was at baseball, I learned how to be good at softball, and now I really enjoy playing softball. Um, so, but it just, and it transmitted into playing ultimate also. So, I guess I'll just flow right into that. Yeah, well, so, I mean, I just have a really quick question though. Yeah. When you're playing tennis, you, you had to have just crushed serves. It was you're, the only thing I was good at, serving and volleying. And what, <laughs> what do you feel like, your average number of aces per match. So the thing about that is to get an ace, you have to hit it hard and you have to hit it accurately. And I was really good at just hitting it hard. And if it happened (laughs) to go in every now and then, sick. So I played doubles 
and my service games would frequently be like, Ace, double fault, service winner, double fault, double fault, ace, double fault, service winner. <laughs> like, it just, zero rallies, because if I did get it in and it did get returned, I couldn't hit ground strokes. I was a servant volley player. I was trying to get up the net as fast as possible. So our our points would end very quickly. So Interesting. But I can, yeah, I bet you crushed this. It, it was a lot of fun. I'd love to see that sometime. <laughs> well, so you were going to get into your ultimate. Speaking of crushing serves, you, you also... And crush a lot of people on the ulti field. So what, what are some, some highlights that you can, uh, recall? <laughs> well, in terms of, we're not gonna, I have knocked several people onto the ground without <laughs> attempting to while playing ultimate. One guy blacked out. Like he, oh. it, it was during a college practice and we, I like ran I was running under and his guy had run deep and he just didn't turn around and look. So his head just hit me right in the chest. Oh Boom. man. Like that split second of unconscious on the ground and then coming to and like, what happened? I was like, well, <laughs> I was just standing here wall. and you hit me. That's what happened. A, a brick wall happened. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, from that standpoint, physically, I've been able to hold my own pretty well in ultimate. Um, but I played at Cal State Long Beach, got started pretty late. I didn't start playing Ultimate until my fifth year in college. So that, that is the late bit, start. I was a little bit older than most people. So I only stuck around for three years, but a couple memories from that. One of, one of the stories I tell a lot is there's a tournament that UCLA hosts every year called Sandwich Day that is used yep. as like a get rookies playing time. The point is for all the rookies to get out there and love what's Sandwich going on. Day. It's so much fun. Sandwich Day is a blast. And I'm pretty sure it was that Sandwich Day that this happened, that your team is, UCLA is always massive. You guys always have so many people. So you, for that tournament, had split into three teams and they, you know, yep. ABC or XYZ, whatever at the time. And we had enough people that we split into two. So I was technically captain of one of them, I think. And I, I don't, I feel like you were one of the captains. Maybe you were already, when did you graduate? So I, my, the end of my fifth year was 2009. Okay. So I definitely think one of these things happened because you guys had all these teams and I, the way the schedule worked out, my team played all of the UCLA teams. Oh, yes. I remember, I remember hearing about that. And we lost to all of the UCLA teams, all on universe. <laughs> yes. And it was I, just like, why is this my life that this has happened? I mean, and the point, you know, we're not going there to try to like win necessarily. We're just trying to get younger guys reps and play. But just the fact that that happened. That is an amazing story. I was there. You're yeah. right. I was there for yeah. that. And <laughs> that's so brutal though. Yeah, it was, it so was rough. Brutal. But it's like but fun it's like, to look back on and go, oh, that happened to me. And this one time we had a game end in a tie because we were playing at Vegas and we were playing against, I believe we were playing against Duke and it started raining. Mm. And so we, they like blast the horn or whatever of like, we need to stop. And uh, we're in the middle of a point and it's a tie game. And one of the tournament coordinators comes over and he's like, you guys have to stop. We're like, just let us finish this point. It's a tie game. He's like, nope, you have to stop right now. So we ended a game in a tie. It's the only time I've ever tied in ultimate. <laughs> Wow, yeah, that is that's wild. I've never even heard of that before. Yeah, so that was that was rough, but a pretty pretty funny memory. So you got started late. Did you have some 
so because you've said that you've been a big sports fan your whole life so yeah. you you like watching sports was there someone that you feel like you watched a lot and really enjoyed their game or tried to take some lessons from so youtube wasn't like it was just starting to really get a database going and yeah so there were some videos, but not a ton, but there was enough to like wet the palate or whatever. So yeah. at the time, you mentioned him earlier, one of the highlight makers of the late 2000s was Alex Nord. Yeah. And so this is a dude who's also massive and just a supreme athlete, has videos on videos of laying out over, through, by, skying people. Like he was the highlight yeah. maker at the time for me. So watching, he was the go-to for me to watch highlights. Um, in terms of somebody that I actually was on the field against or watched play in front of me, Joe Kirshner from Arizona. Oh, yes. This guy, he, A, he has a play ultimate tattoo on his calf. So he actually, <laughs> that, didn't he win the Callahan award as well? I believe he did because that was the year it was like him versus Kurt Gibson, but everyone hated Florida and everyone yeah. loved Joe because he was just the like, sickest dude who just yeah, made insane plays he did and there was one so the moment for me watching was him arizona versus florida at vegas i believe in the finals him and kurt gibson are going against each other there's a yeah. throw into the end zone kurt lays out kind of weird or i don't remember if he laid out or like kind of fell but he his body was in kirshner's way kirshner jumps lays out grabs the disc does a front flip and lands in the end zone to, I believe, win the game. Wow. Or like it was yeah. something crazy like that. And there's hundreds of people around the field, and everyone goes nuts because this dude yep. just made this insane play. And so he, like, if you saw him off the field, you'd think, like, all right, this guy's a guy. Like, whatever. Beard, normal, like, probably 5'9", five 5'10", five like, not overly physically imposing. Yeah. The moment he got on ultimate field, you were like, that guy is winning. <laughs> I dominates. So he was he was a complete beast. I remember when we used to play them as well. It was just a nightmare yeah. to try to contain that guy. And I, it's he he kind of disappeared pretty quickly after that. I know yeah. that he played a little bit of club, but then yeah, I I had completely forgotten about that until you mentioned it right now. Yeah, he. It's funny. There's like every now and then there are a couple guys like that who just all of a sudden they're just gone. And you're like, what? Whatever happened? Like that guy could have been one of the greats. And he yeah. just, you know, he just lives on as this mythical figure <laughs> in our history. True. True. So, in Southwest history, he's, yeah. he's just a legend. <laughs> yeah. So then the other person I just want to shout out is Dan Smelter. He was the captain of Long Beach State, essentially one of the guys who started the program at Long Beach State a couple years before yeah. I got there. And he is, like, the first true captain I've ever had. Like, I've yeah. been on a ton of teams, had guys, you know, have the thing as captain. But in terms of yeah. somebody who, like, was a leader, start to finish, no matter what, knew the game super well, could communicate really well, all of those things, and go out there and make insane plays. Yep. Like, one of, one of my favorite early memories is in the first club tournament I ever went to, I believe was sectionals 2008. And there's a picture of him layout Ding Frosty underneath. Oof. And Dan's like four feet in the air, perfectly horizontal. And I'm I'm in the picture because I'm on the other side, like watching him <laughs> dive straight at me. And I'm nice. just like, this is real ultimate. This is insane. And it was yeah. Dan. 
And so, like, he was just that in college. He became a really good friend of mine and a spiritual leader for me, too. Went on to be one of the principal owners of the Aviators and make sure that happened while also yep. playing on the team early on. Just yep. start to finish Dan as an ultimate player, as a person, just one of the one of the top people for me. Yeah, matter matter respect, and he is still I like you said an owner of Aviators. Shout out yep. to yep. ownership, appreciate them. <laughs> so. Going into the the weird random stories, I had a crazy one about Miles. What do you, what do you got lined up for us? So my a lot apparently UCLA is just the place to be. So <laughs> at I believe again at a sandwich day event. Afterwards, you know, you finish playing, gotta eat somewhere, and there's an In and Out relatively close by to yep. the campus, but yep. it's super packed all the time because every part of Westwood is super packed all the time, including the only in and out in the area. So parking is a nightmare. So you just have to park a mile away, find some random spot and hightail it over there. So we decide we're going to risk it and park at like a gas station parking lot. And, you know, they got (laughs) signs up because they know people do this and we're like, whatever, we're we're not going to be here that long, you know, forgetting that it takes and a half hour to order, another hour to get your food, etc. So my friend uh, Farfan parks his car in an actual spot. So he's like in the spot that's off to the side, kind of behind the building. And I am driving my the van that I used a lot of time to transport people. So I have this big eight-passenger extended van. Like it's massive. And I park next to his car in what is not a spot, but is a big enough space for the van to fit. Thinking specifically, between the two of us, they're going to tow him because his car is easier to move. Like, <laughs> But fingers crossed that that doesn't come to that, but that was part of my logic of parking there was, uh, if we're both here too long, they're going to get him first. <laughs> but like, pretty sure that wasn't going to happen. So we go get our food, hanging out, whatever. And as we get up to leave and like walk outside, somebody opens the door and a car alarm is going off. And Farfan instantly goes, I think that's my car. And Uh, he takes off running. And so all of us are like, oh man, this could be bad. So we walk back to the gas station, get there. And sure enough, there is a tow truck with Farfan's car already up. And the dude Uh, is like... A no. minute away from pulling away. <laughs> and so we all, we all get there and the, you know, the tow truck guy's doing his thing and we're like, please, we're here. We're leaving. Like, just put it down. He's like, nope. Once I get a call, there's nothing I can do. I got to fulfill it. Like, this is how this works. <laughs> and, and all of us are like, no, nah, come on, man. Like, cut us a break. And we managed between however many of us were right there to put together like 80 bucks or something in cash and give it to the driver. Nice. And he, and he let us go. He put the car down really? and went on his merry way. Yeah. That is incredible. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was very you entertaining. Wow. <laughs> Still, like you saved a ton of money or oh, he yeah. saved a ton of 100%. money. 100%. That is, oh my gosh. I can't believe that. I can't believe that worked to be honest. Oh, us either. We were, it took a lot of begging. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's, that's, yeah, that's a, Pretty fun story yeah, slash was awesome. vic- victory <laughs> in the in the world of 
college ultimate players. Yep. I think we can all relate to crazy car stories. 100%. So you talked about the van. I know that you use the van, and you even use the van in your your work life. This is a segue into, into what you do in, in a on a day-to-day basis. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So we're going to go used to do, because I don't know if you've been updated. Um, oh, okay. I need the update. <laughs> but so I got my degree in business management at Long Beach State, was going to get a master's in sports management. Things happened. That didn't work out. Started doing a bunch of random jobs. And eventually started teaching, <laughs> doing something. My mom's been a public school teacher for a long time. I never wanted to be a teacher. I saw everything she brought home was like, I'm not dealing with all that. I got to do other stuff. So I was, I was looking into coaching because I thought that would be fun. This is back in like 2011, 2000, yeah, 2011. And a friend I know encouraged me with the coaching to like, you should substitute teach and see if you even like teaching. So I said, all right, fine. So I substituted a couple times at this private Christian school, really liked it, stuck around, got offered like a part-time role for the next year. And then the year after that got hired as a full-time math teacher, did that for three years, then moved to history, did that for two years. So I taught for five years um, and then got hired as a youth pastor at a church in pretty close by in the neighborhood. And did that for three years. So in terms of van usage, the van <laughs> was getting a lot of use in terms of ultimate, in terms of youth events, all that stuff. So, yep. so that was pretty, pretty clutch for my parents to have that for a while. And now I own it because it's useful. Yep. So, <laughs> so did that for three years. And then this past August stepped down for a lot of reasons, just including me with church and how I, kind of viewed the role of being a pastor and just a lot of other stuff in that area. So it was a good, good break. Church kind of had to do its thing and I had to do my thing. And, um, so kind of took some time to just kind of hang out for a few months. And that's yeah, fun, when unemployed. Yeah. It was, it was definitely that. And that is where a lot of disc golf came in. Um, <laughs> but I did one of the families that I knew really well. I had taught two of the sons and had been to countless soccer games and whatnot. The, the father in that family is the director of the tax department at this company. And they needed somebody to come in to basically be an entry level project manager. So that is what I currently do full time is I do entry level project management in the tax department for this company. So I don't actually have a background in tax work. So I don't actually <laughs> understand taxes. I just do the support work around it, which involves a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of PDFs, a lot of emails. Um, but that is that is where I'm at right now. And luckily, I get to do a lot of work from home. So that kind of leaves me to we don't have hard we don't necessarily have hard deadlines like day to day. It's not a come in nine to five, get this done, whatever. It's like you have this project get it done. So I tend to find myself working till midnight, 1am at times so I can go enjoy myself in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great arrangement. And I, you're completely right. I did not know that. So <laughs> we're learning things. It's this not is... something that's just like, Hey guys, guess what taxes I did today? Like, it's not <laughs> like you get to talk about your students and all this stuff. Like that's a natural outpouring. It's really hard to naturally outpour about spreadsheets. Fair. Fair. But so it sounds like you're getting a little bit of the, the work life slash ultimate 
slash disc golf balance, finding time to yeah. arrange your schedule so you can do these things. And, and you're on the squad again. Uh, you weren't planning really to play. In <laughs> fact, you're planning to be an assistant coach for aviators. So, Maybe fill us in kind of on a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So being around the team has been like one of the highlights of my life. Like this has been a really cool experience. I had the pleasure to be on the team its inaugural season also. Took a few years off, um, but was still around a lot. The ability to like live tweet during games and write write-ups afterwards and do all those things. Like it was just fun to be around the team and be useful in some ways. Uh, managed to get back on the roster again two years ago and then would have been on the roster last year. And so I just got to the point where like, you know, I was fairly inactive during COVID you know, <laughs> minus, minus the disc golf, which, you know, any given weekend I can get 15,000 steps in a day, but yeah. you know, walking is not sprinting on a football field. <laughs> So definitely not. So the fitness level, because normally like I go play some pickup basketball too once or twice a week, and I, you know wasn't even doing that. So a whole year plus went by of not running around playing ultimate on grass, not playing ultimate on the beach, not playing pickup basketball, not doing these active things, and the amount of work it takes to be a stellar professional athlete that is not going to embarrass themselves on the field. It's a lot of work, and I thought I just we have so many good young players, man. And it's like, it's really fun to just see that happen. And I am so content to be on the sideline watching some of my best friends, watching some of these kids that I've known for so long, watch them get to shine. Cause I coach at Cal State Long Beach too. So I have resigned myself to the fact of like, I, I can be on the sideline now and it's okay. You know, your first 10 years in the sport, anytime you're on the sideline, all you want to do is get on the field. Definitely. But, <laughs> but now I've gotten to the point of like, I get this. I have my outlets in other ways. I am content over here on the sideline. And so what ended up happening actually was that one of the practices this season, I kind of passed by our head coach, Jeff Landisman, and jokingly was like, you know, if we need an end of quarter guy slash double teams guy, I'm your man. Just like mostly jokingly. And Jeff looks at me and goes, we can make that happen. <laughs> so... So that was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that response. And then had a couple players during that weekend when I was just on the sideline helping coach, had a couple players like, are you player coaching? Are you playing? Like, what's happening? What are you doing? I was like, well, <laughs> I'm intending to just be on the sideline coaching and did have a couple players be like, Jake, you need to get rostered. You need to make this happen. So because I have very supportive friends <laughs> who are pushy and encouraging that did make me want to step up. So had a conversation with Jeff and the role is to like, I am embracing the special teams role, but I am also embracing the idea of I'm representing this team and I'm going to need to be out on the field. So I got to put some work in. So I'm making sure I'm running around, gotten to play some pickup and played in some Irvine league last night. So I'm running around and getting my, getting my grass legs back under me. But I've had a lot of people approach me and be like, didn't you retire from grass ultimate? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I thought so, but you know, we'll give it one, one more go and see what happens. So that's where we're at. Well, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good gig. I mean, obviously, like you said, you gotta be in shape. You gotta be able to play, but your, your role that you, are embracing is fantastic like yeah. you're 
you're getting you're getting blocks at the end of quarters. You're getting goals at the end of quarters, yeah. and you're going to be a monster on that double team. So that'll be pretty sweet. That's the idea. <laughs> it's a lot of fun doing those those things specifically. What are, what's this little uh, ringing we got going on? I'm hearing a little <laughs> a little I'm, jingle. I my my work, as flexible as it is, has decided that we want to have a work meeting right now. So I'm trying to hold that off until we finish. Oh man! So well. <laughs> Maybe we should, maybe that's a sign that we should, uh, start to it, wrap it up. I think it is. I think we can hold off on a, on an actual season preview till next week because it, we still won't have played a game yet. So we can yes. take care of that next time. Sounds great. So it was really fun, Bomber, to do our first little podcast and yeah, looking forward to a lot of other or many more weeks, I guess I should say. Yeah. And getting to know some other people on our team. And hopefully, hopefully we have some listeners, more than, you know, more than three <laughs> listeners on this. But if we get three, we appreciate all, all of you. If one person's day is brightened by our conversation, then we have done a good job. Definitely. <laughs> that is, that is, even if that one person is each other. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. If no one listens, at least we're having a good time. Exactly. So uh, if you are listening to this, if you've made it this far, keep doing that. Share it. Post it. Talk about it with your friends. Um, our our goal is to have one of our other captains, San Fontaine, on next weekend or next week. So find that. Hopefully you are listening to this on a medium that includes Spotify or Apple Podcasts or something along those lines. I haven't quite figured that out yet, but... When you're hearing this, it will have been figured out. So we'll see how that goes. We don't really know how sponsorships work. Um, but if you are interested in us talking about you or your product and you want to sh- throw a little uh, cheddar our way and help the team with some of its finances, we would not turn it down. We are more than happy to <laughs> spout your praises um, oh, for yeah. the sake of some We donations. are definitely not above <laughs> sponsorships. That's for sure. Not, we, we love that. Not at all. So... Yeah, so just be looking forward to a lot of this type of content coming your way, and we are going to have a blast, and hopefully you are too. So uh, thanks for flying with us on the Aviator's Airwaves. See you all next week.